Tonight, we are moving into our next part of 1 Samuel, the next character that we will deal with. Um, we just dealt with Saul last week. I had my suit on and everything, and, and we did his funeral. We did Saul's funeral. And, and what did you come out with when you think of Saul? Anybody? Do what? Bad guy trying to do a good thing. I, I described it in his, his funeral. I described it, they gave me clothes that what? I couldn't wear. They gave me clothes I couldn't wear. He didn't ask for it. He didn't, he was, this was just put upon him because the people demanded a king. And God said, fine, I'll give you the, I'll give you the man that you want. I'll give you the biggest, strongest, best, the one it should be. But the problem is God does not look upon a person's outside. He looks upon a person's inside. And so tonight we're going to pick up on a different character. This man's name is Jonathan. We've got a few more to go. We'll deal with David and then Christ Jesus. But as we've walked through this entire, we're going through the whole book. But by doing this, this allows us to be able to, to see the whole story. And pictures and stories, what we have from this other than judges is so much better because it gives us a little more time, 30-something chapters, to slowly break down the character of each one of these people. We don't just get a glimpse of them and, and like Samson or, or something like that, and we just get, well, he, you know, this is who he was. We get the whole kind of story of them. And tonight, this guy is probably one of my heroes, in fact, one of David's heroes. There is no one in the Bible who has better character than Jonathan. There is no one that you will ever read about in the Bible with better character than this man. There is none higher. What makes it so sad is that as we open to 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 6, I'll read this scripture to get us started and kind of set the pace for, we have entitled Jonathan, who knows what God will do? Wouldn't it be awesome if you had a mindset every day of your life, who knows what God could do? Not already preconceiving, already thinking what people think about you, already thinking about where it's going to end, already thinking about, already having half figured out, but just waking up and saying, who knows what God could do? Here's what it says. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by... This is Jonathan, the picture of Jonathan. When I, when I first started in ministry, I think about this all the time because you have to understand that finding a place... And accepting a place is, is uber hard. It's, it's much easier to keep trying to make a place or to, to, to find a place where you want God to put you. It's much harder to allow God to be able to place you where he wants to place you and to be content in that situation. My, my ministry did not start at all seasons. My ministry started simply coming back from college where I was doing fine, could have went on, and God said, nope, come back. We're going to go to a job in the grocery store. We're gonna... 
I was preaching just periodically every blue moon to whoever would call me or needed someone to fill in or maybe a mini revival. And this went on for years. Got married to Elise. And when I married Elise, the, the state contacted me and said, hey, you're married now. Would you like to start pastoring? And I knew Elise needed the experience. And I said, whatever you say. And so they found me a, a little church called William Springs. It happened to be 80 miles from my house. They only had one service a day. They ran about 15 people. And so I would drive 80 miles every Sunday morning, me and Elise. Elise had never been involved in the Church of God, knew nothing about the Redback Hymnal. She, she could play a little bit of piano, which she won't let y'all know that now because she's got out of it, so she doesn't talk about that. But she would play for me. I would sing. We would lead church. We would do this. We solved a few problems. We went from 15 to about 40 in a year or so. And I thought, well, this is, this is it. I'm good. I'm working, brokeraging, doing. I'm content. I get another call. Hey, we've got a church. It's a great opportunity. Growing up in church, I always know what that means means we can't find anybody else. I know exactly what that means. I look at Elise and I'm like, well, here's... So we drove to Forest, Mississippi. Took us forever to find where this little building was. Looked at it. God spoke to me, and I've told this story a bunch of times. God spoke to me and said, if you move here in five years, I'll, I'll help you create another building. I'll get you out of here. That's all he said. He didn't say anything about numbers or how many or how. Just if you'll do this, I'll take what it is and I'll move it for here. And of course, the rest, as you know, is history. But I want to explain something to you. It is not that you are here. It's that you can be there. That you can be content at every step of the way and allow God to open the doors as he sees fit. God could have easily said, Tim, I'm going to send you to such and such church. And that church for the rest of your life will run 40 and 50 people. And, and that's where I want you. And that's where I'm going to put you. And that's, can you handle that? And I have to be able to look at God and say, if that's what you wanted, that's what I'll do. If that's what you decide, that's okay. Now, it's not that I wouldn't grow or I wouldn't become because of the talents or gifts that God blessed me with. In some way or somehow, I would impact lives, but I, I may never have had an all seasons. There never, would never have been what we see here. And that would have to be okay. Because the height of the life of a Christian is to be content. Paul said, while I'm sitting here in Philippian jails, while I'm sitting here fixing to go to Nero and be executed, I am content. How can you be content? I'm content in the fact that God understands what I don't understand, and he can use even what I'm going through if I will be faithful in it. In our modern world where everybody's a superstar and everybody gets prime time and American Idol and everything else, it's hard to imagine a life where someone says, wherever God says, I'm good. I'm content. 
That's why if you take it away, it means nothing because I was content before. I was content when I had 30. I was content at William Springs. I was content when I was pushing buggies. I was content when I was... And that contentment, as long as it stays there, allows God to continually use your life. Why do you say that, Brother Lot? Because I'm fixing to show you a character who has, beyond anything I can imagine, has these qualities. I would like to think that I have these qualities until I read of Jonathan. And then I'm like, okay, he's off the chart. He just has a depth that is very hard for me to grasp. So let's, let's jump in. Let me explain it this way. I'll, I'll bring it through five different characteristics of Jonathan, that characteristics that God wants you to have to be able to be the person that he needs you to be, wherever he chooses you to be. And here's number one. Number one is that Jonathan always advances by faith. Jonathan's moves are never on his own. They are never situational. They are never, I've got it figured out. They are never looking at bank accounts. They, they are simply, his advancements are always by faith. And as you go through these story with me, you'll find out that even as we keep going, it's always by faith he's speaking, by faith he's doing, by faith he's moving. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Go with me to chapter 13 in verses 2 and 4, and I will walk you through this man's life. 1 Samuel 13, 2 and 4 says this, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, 2,000 were with Saul and in and, Michmash, and, and in the mountains of Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. He said, I only need this many men. That probably was a mistake. Because why? Notice verse 3. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines. Not Saul, not, not anyone else. He said, Jonathan, I'm giving you a thousand men. And Jonathan's like, Good. That's all I need. I want you to go over here and, and, and to Gilead, and I want you to, to be over here. No problem. And as soon as he gets there, Jonathan attacks the garrison of the Philistines in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all of Israel heard it said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines. Now this, as we dealt last week, this will always be Saul's problem. Saul never fights the battle. He just loves being the king. He's wearing the clothes, but he's not the man. And yet here is his son who is the man. This is before Goliath. This is before anything this is just him, and he attacks the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination unto the Philistines, and the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. So now here's the problem. Who started the fight? Jonathan. Who's the one that's a go-getter? Jonathan. Who's the one that's acting by faith? Jonathan. And yet here Saul says, everybody come to me. Well, what do you think is going to happen when everybody gets to him? Nothing. Nothing. 
Let me show you. Go with me to chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, they're all standing here now, all 3,000 of them are, are there, and Saul is sitting under a tree. And, and Jonathan, just like he did before, is sitting there and he's saying, he says to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistines garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell. What do you think his father would have said? Son, we don't need to be doing that. Son, that, that's, that's, Albert Einstein said it really well. He said, you don't need to tell anybody your problems. Unless they are trained or called to encourage you in them, don't tell nobody your problems. For some of you, that means totally leaving Facebook. You couldn't tell people your problems. Your text would go down and it showed on your phone. You've lost two hours and 47 minutes this week. If you just didn't share your junk. And Jonathan says, I'm not telling dad about this. Because in his heart is a mindset that if God's willing, we're fixing to stir this thing up. And I don't know it for sure, but by faith, I know I'm supposed to see. And so he tells his young man, and he does not tell his father, verse 2. And Saul was sitting on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migdon, Migdon. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahaji, the son of Atub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of... Now, we've covered them. Why would God take the time to write where, where Saul was and what he was doing? Because here's why. Notice who was with him. He's got a high priest, but whose line does he come from? Eli's. It was Eli's son, Phinehas, who was sleeping around in the temple, who died because he thought he could carry the ark out into the battle, and the Philistines killed him. And now it mentions Ichabod, which was Phineas's wife, who has a child. As soon as she hears the bad news, she is in such pain. She has a baby. And when she has her baby, they, they say, oh, you had a son. And she says, name it Ichabod, which means the glory of God has left. So Saul has surrounded himself with people who are like-minded. The glory of God has left. He's got the ark. He's got everything. But he has no desire to trust God. I could spend a lot of time going through those names and explaining all of that, but do you get to jest? Let me just put it to you this way. Whoever you surround yourself with is usually people like you. If, if you're a complainer and you hang around somebody and they're like, they stop wanting to hang around you, here's probably why. They don't complain. They probably just decided, I'd rather just not even be around you. I don't want to sit at your house and talk about junk. So usually if you look around you, the people you're around are the people like you. If they like to do things half-hearted, you're going to have half-hearted people. If you like people that like to talk, you're going to have people around you that like to talk. Whoever you surround yourself with, and Jonathan has surrounded himself with one guy. 
And he looks at that one guy and he says, look, I'm thinking we go over here. And that guy says, whatever your heart says, I'm right here with you. He said, that's what I wanted to hear. Jonathan said, I've surrounded myself with the right number. He's got 3,000. I hadn't got but one, but I got the right one. One could put 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. To speed it along, here's what happens. They cross this ravine. There's, there's two garrisons, and, and one garrison is on this side, and one garrison is on this side. And in between is this very rocky, very, I mean, just really bad area. It's, it's, it's just very rough. And so them two, Jonathan and his armor bearer, crawl, climb, scrape through, Whatever they got to do to get all the way to the other side of the garrison, the only thing left is another rocky cliff to get up. So they come down all the way across, and now they're on the other side, and they're standing there, and they look up there, and, and Jonathan comes up with this idea from God. He looks over at his armor bearer, and he says, I'll tell you what we're going to do. He said, we're going to step out. He said, if they look at us and say, now you guys wait right there, we're going to come down there and show you something then we know God's not in it. But if we step out and they look at us and said, hey, look, there's some Israelites. You come up here, we'll show you something. If they say that, then we'll know that God's already given them to us. He doesn't know how many of them are there. He doesn't know if there's 1,000 up there. He doesn't know if there's 500 up there. He doesn't know if there's 20 up there. He has no idea how many is in that garrison. He just knows that if God says we got it, then we're going. They step out. The men look over the cliff. Now, look. And they said, you boys, come up here. We'll show you something. Show you this view. We'll show you a thing or two. And Jonathan looks over at his armor bearer and says, they're ours. And they don't just go fight. They have to first climb up this cliff, come over the ledge. And the Bible says that there's such a fighting and such a commotion. And you got to understand this too. And there's so much here. There's only two swords in Israel. If you read the battle that they have right before, there's only two swords Jonathan has a sword, and his father has a sword. Nobody else even has a sword. They had to sharpen their hoes, and they had to sharpen axes, and had to, they don't even have weaponry. So Jonathan's the only one that even has a sword. His armor bearer is just right behind him with a stick. A sharp stick, and he's like, I'm with you. And while Jonathan is knocking them down, he's sticking them. And they are going, and there's such chaos that when this chaos takes place, people, and, and, and they were so confident they were going to win, they spread out. And when they spread out, they could hear the war going on over here, but they couldn't tell what was happening. They didn't know it was one man whooping 20. They thought the Israelites had come over the mountain. They already got us. The confusion hit them. There were Israelites that had already surrendered and were with the Philistines at that time. They decided... We're on the losing side. They turned around and started fighting the Philistines. It is mass chaos. Saul hears about it, who's sitting under the pomegranate tree. 
He says, bring me the ephod. Bring me. Bring, hey, let's, let's do a sacrifice. I need to hear from God. He can't hear from God. There's more noise, more noise, more noise, more noise. Saul finally says, forget this. Let's just go. So he takes off down the hill. And he, when he gets over the hill, he sees that there's chaos there where people's fighting each other, Philistines fighting each other. They don't, they don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, he comes over, and it's this massacre. And you've got to know how many people that Jonathan is facing. There's 30,000 chariots. 30,000. The footman, the Bible says in chapter 13, when you notice it, they're like the sand of the seashore. This one man, by faith, attacks a garrison. And God says, that's all I need. I just needed you to move. I just needed you to trust me. I didn't need you to win a war. I just needed your faith. And his faith turned the battle that day, even though his father is not the man. Do you in your life advance by faith? Are the decisions you make by faith, what you do do, what you won't do, are they in expectation of God opening a door that no one else can open? Or do you make your decisions based every day off what you think might happen? Or what could happen. Let me just go ahead and break it to you. If it's what you think could happen and could happen and what you'd like to happen, you ain't nowhere near God. You better lay it down, die to it, and forget it. Because let me explain, it will not happen anywhere near what you think. If it did, it'd be yours and not God's. Jonathan is able to, by faith, to just say, I just feel this is where I'm supposed to go. This is what I'm supposed to do. Jonathan then inspires others, number two. Chapter 15 through 23, I've just shared that with you. That because of what Jonathan does, it inspires people around him. Faith inspires others. Plans manipulate others. Saul is a manipulator. He, plan, he makes plans. Jonathan lives by faith. He inspires others. This is so hard. In your life, you have to decide how you're going to live this life. How are you going to live this life? As an inspiration to others or trying to manipulate others? This is your choice. Is this okay tonight? So he advances by faith. He inspires others. Listen, I'll show you the difference. Because in this chapter 13 and 14 is the beautiful picture of the difference between Saul, who is trying to manipulate God and his people and everything, and, and Jonathan, who's just instinctively, by faith, advancing and trusting. Jonathan is, is, is done all of this. Everything has gone good. Saul, while he's sitting under that pomegranate tree, comes up with this bright idea. Today, I call a fast. Nobody eats anything today. If you eat anything, you're cursed and you'll be killed. 
Well, he had no idea that his son was fixing to break out war right down the road. And so all the people that were with Saul that day were half starved. So when they attacked the Philistines, they ran so far and got tired and could not pursue them anymore. Jonathan, on the other hand, had done whooped his group and was coming back and saw a honeycomb. And he took from that and took from the honeycomb and it refreshed him. And people looked and said, Jonathan, your dad said we weren't supposed to get anything. He, he said, my dad did a dumb thing today. He said he, he, brought, he brought a lot. What could have been an ultimate victory today, we could be sitting in the Philistine camp eating spoils, but instead you're looking at the food you can't touch. All because somebody tried to manipulate God and not just follow God. When somebody comes out with these books and says, if you give $32.99, it will unlock your blessings. Let me tell you something. That's manipulation. Here's the five steps to unlocking your miracle. That's manipulation. There's only one thing that moves God. Faith. Without faith, you cannot please him. And let me explain it this way. If you've read something that you're supposed to do and you do it because you read it, then is it faith? No. Of course not. It's good for them. They get a bunch of 3299s. But it ain't going to help you. Jonathan inspires others. Here's how far Saul is so messed up. Jonathan comes back, and Saul can't hear from God. And Saul says, something's wrong. We need, we need to find out who, who caused the problem. And they cast lots and cast lots, and guess who it finally falls on? Jonathan. He said, what have you done? He said, I ate something. He said, I made a decree that if you eat something, you'll die, so i got to kill you now. Now think about this. Here's the guy that just won the battle and Saul is so locked up in his control that he's willing to kill the mightiest man he has. And if it hadn't been for the people, and we read the end of verses 32 through 45, we find that the people rise up, and even though they had sinned and done wrong by eating blood, and, and Saul was fixing to kill Jonathan, they said, no, 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 you're not killing Jonathan. The people rose up that day and told Saul, it ain't happening. It's not going to happen. And Saul was squandered and Jonathan was saved. Because the people that day overrode Saul's bad decisions. Jonathan is the crown prince. Jonathan has this incredible anointing. Now you've got to understand that what's so sad about this right here is, is that you could think in your mind that, well... When Saul finally dies, Jonathan then can finally step into his role. There's a problem. See, before this battle with the Philistines, Samuel had told Saul to wait here seven days, and when I get here, we'll make a sacrifice. Saul could not wait the whole seven days. People were scared and skittish, so he just did the sacrifice himself. And when Samuel got there, he said, let me tell you the first curse God just put on you. The first curse is your family will not be in the lineage 
of the crown. What he was saying was, you have three sons and none of them will sit on the throne. I want you to understand this about God. When we talk about God's providence, if God wants to get from point A to point B, you're not going to stop it. But you can change what it looks like in between that. Otherwise, there's no need to pray. But the Bible says the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. You can, you can adjust how your role is played out. If Saul had done what he had supposed to have done, here's the way it would have gone. Saul would have been a shaky king at best. He would have been kind of wishy-washy, but we'd have got through him. And then Jonathan would have come along, and Jonathan would have met David, and then David would have been his his main man of war. And when Jonathan finally passed away, God would have said, now I'm going to raise David. But because Saul did what he did, God said, Jonathan will never see it. He's tied to you. When I tell you to do Bible study with your kids, to take them to church, to make sure they're in Sunday school, because here's the thing, don't be so stupid that you make decisions that will alter their future just because it's easy for you. Oh, I know it's easier to show up late for church or not stay the whole time and not have, but let me tell you something, it will cost you on the other side. It will cost you dearly. On the other side. This is what Saul could not understand. This is what Jonathan did not even realize. Is that my father now has cut the legs out from under everything that I would once be. Jonathan then, number three, becomes friends or finds friendship in David. So Jonathan finds a friend and a what? Brother. Go to chapter 18 verses 1 through 4. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, this is David. David just killed Goliath. He just brought his head. Saul says, who are you? Saul is so messed up now, he doesn't even remember that two years earlier, David was the one that came and played harp for him to make that evil spirit leave him. He he used to be Saul's armor bearer. But Saul, two years later, he doesn't recognize this young boy who's grown into this young man. He's like, who are you? And David explains who he is. And and when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that he had on him and gave it to David with his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. In other words, he put everything that he had on David that day and said, let me explain this. What's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. The thing Saul could not do to trust God, to have faith to know that whatever God has planned, it's okay. 
Here is the prince who will one day be the king, and yet he's taking off all of his stuff, giving it to this boy who just kills a giant because God has touched his heart and said, that's your friend. That's your running buddy. If you would ask Saul, Saul, would you take off your stuff and put it on David and treat him like a, a king? Oh, no. But Jonathan, Jonathan has the ability to find a friend and a brother. Number four. Jonathan then also has the ability, since he has the ability to truly love beyond his own comfort, beyond his own care, beyond his own... He then has the ability to protect that. You can only truly protect what you love. And let me explain this. You can't love five things. What knitted Jonathan and David together was that they both loved the same thing. They wanted more than anything. Because let me show it to you this way. Jonathan in chapter 13 and 14 looks at his armor bearer and says, Who knows what God will do with these uncircumcised Philistines? David looks at the Goliath on the day of his battle and tells Saul, as he's given me the bear and he's given me the lion, this uncircumcised Philistine. See, they both had the same heart. They believed in a God by faith. And they believed that that God had a purpose and a plan for them to accomplish what they were supposed to accomplish. And that overrode women, children, that overrode comfort, that overrode everything else in their life. Even their own life was not considered dear to them. See, when you get a vision to that degree, you can make a mark in the world. That's why we read in the New Testament that all of these people did all of this in, in the day of uh, near Pentecost in, in the book of Acts. And it says, they counted not what they had as dear to them, but they cared more about everybody. What were you saying? When you finally get in that mindset of knowing and loving and caring about what God cares about, he'll introduce you to people who love and care about what he cares about let me say it this way it's not an accident that you ended up here doing what we do because if you had a heart to want to touch a world change a world touch lives through camp through this through whatever we do then you're in the right place. You may walk in and, and think, well, this isn't doing enough for me. Then you will quickly feel like I'm in the wrong place. Because your heart will never be knitted. Do you see how... how Awesome Jonathan is. He is the crown prince, but he has taken in this young guy. He, he's, he's attached to his father who's got all these issues, but he's still the guy. 
He just keeps being, who knows what God will do? Who knows what God will do? Who knows what God will do? I'm just going to keep moving forward, and who knows what God will do? First Samuel 18, 1 through 4, where he finds a friend and a brother. Jonathan protects. Number 4, go with me to chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. Saul now has gotten enraged with David. And he's done everything he can to try throughout this process. It is, it is one of the most incredible reads of where you find that Saul basically at first says, I'm going to give you this daughter to marry. My oldest daughter, I'm going to give you her to marry. The only problem is two days before they were to marry, Saul gives him her to another man. Just to see if David would say something bad, and if he said something negative about the king, he'd have him killed. But David didn't say anything. Then he has one younger daughter, Michael, and he, and he says, well, I'll give you Michael, but here's what you got to do. You got to go and, and get a hundred foreskins, and we're not going to get it all that, but you got to get a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. David said, no problem. He brings back 200. A lot of mad, disappointed Philistinian women. Daddy ain't coming home tonight. But this is David. And the only reason Saul told him to do that because he thought if he goes out and fights, he'd get killed. He gives him a thousand men. He goes out and kills 10,000. Women start making songs. David kills his 10,000. Saul kills his. And he's saying, David's 10 times the man I am. So he gives him 600 and he still keeps killing. He realizes he's got an anointing on him. Jonathan realizes he's got an anointing on him. So finally, he tries to. In chapter 19, to get Jonathan to help him, he tells Jonathan, look, we need to kill this guy. He's going to take the crown. And here's what Jonathan does in chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and all of his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. He's done knitted him together. We have the same purpose. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. He said, I will go and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. When I, what I observe, I will tell you. He's got to trust. He said, I'm, I'm going to protect you, David. That's your dad. That's your family. Doesn't matter. I'm going to protect you, David. And he does. He talks with his father that night. His father calms down and David's able to come back. But shortly after, it goes bad again. Saul starts throwing spears at him. Finally, in chapter 20, verses 17 and 18, we read this. Now, Jonathan again calls David to vow because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Notice how it keeps saying that. Here's a man caught in the middle of a dad who is half out of his mind. 
and his friend who is the threat to the throne. And yet he lives his life every day. Who knows what God will do? He just by faith keeps living and speaking and believing that good is going to happen. It's incredible. Now Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be Saul had done plan that I'm going to kill him that night. And, and he says, here's what, I, here's what I do, David. You say my dad's still trying to kill you. Yes. I'm not sure. But I tell you what I'll do. You don't come to dinner tomorrow. And when you don't come to dinner tomorrow, my dad's either going to get really mad because he's had all these plans to kill you and it didn't happen. Or when I tell him, well, David had to go do a sacrifice with his family, he'll say, oh, may the Lord bless him. One or the other is going to happen. Well, Jonathan did. Jonathan got a spear thrown at him that night. Because he said, you just let the enemy get away from us. The next day, Jonathan, a few days later, goes out and shoots arrows. And the story is that if he tells the young man who shot the arrows, go farther, it means don't come back. And he says, if I tell the young man, David, to go, go this way, go that way, then just know that it's okay to come back. And he told him, he said, go, go, go further. Don't come home, David. He sent the man away, sent the young boy away. The Bible says that Jonathan and David embraced because they knew it would never be the same. Jonathan spends his life in faith, advancing, inspiring, being a friend, being a brother, protecting. This is all he does. There's nothing you read about Jonathan in this whole story that makes you think that this is not the guy you would want to run with. He's just as mighty as David who killed Goliath because he just a chapter before he kills all the garrison and basically starts and wins a war. He, he's just as powerful, but he's not the man. God has already predetermined he's got to walk it out with his father. So finally, when David has been chased, hunted down like a dog for multiple occasions, and many times we read over this and we miss this part. David is very discouraged right now. David is very discouraged in chapter 23. And I'm not sure what David would have done in chapter 24 through 28 when he cut the tassel off of his robe or when he went in and got... I'm not sure that David, under the stress, would have simply just said, it's either him or me. And he would have been justified. I'm not sure, because when we meet David at this point, he is not doing good. He's not David walking around killing giants anymore. He's David who is, who is just broken. And he just wants to go home. The Bible says that Jonathan comes to him in the woods. 
And let's read verses 16 through 18. I don't have time to cover it all. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, notice how it says that. He can't become unattached. Even though he's got faith and even though he's, he's this incredible man, he can't unattach from his destiny. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and did what? Strengthened him, his hand in God. Number five is Jonathan, because he is such an incredible friend, is also an incredible encourager. He said to him, do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. Now this is, this is Saul's son. But he's looking at David and he's got his arm around him. He says, David, man, I'm sorry about all this. But don't you worry. This is not stopping God. Me and you have been through enough scrapes to where we know God will finish what he starts. Listen to me, David. Do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You will be. He said, you're going to be the king, David. Everybody knows it. We've known it for a long time. And notice he even says, you shall be king over, and I shall be next to you. Even my father, Saul. He said, you're fighting a battle. You don't have to fight, David. It's already been given. It's already been done. You just got to walk it out, son. You and me, we just got to walk this thing out. But don't you think for a second that God's going to let Saul kill you. Don't think that you're not going to reach the throne. You're meant to make it to the throne and you're going to establish the throne in Israel. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord and David stayed in the woods and Jonathan went to his own house. Jonathan tells him multiple times, promise me you won't forget me. Promise me you won't, you won't cut my family off. Remember me when I'm gone and, and, and do good to my kids. And Jonathan says, when, when you're king, I'm going to be right there beside you, David. I'm going to be right there, man. I may, I, may be, I may be the guy that polishes your crown. I, I may be the guy that's over your army, but whatever I am, it's okay. Because you know what? We're going to make it. Do you have friends like this in your life? You can only go so far until you have friends like this in your life. Friends that have enormous faith. Friends that can encourage you. Friends that will protect you. Friends that will be a friend and a brother. Friends that will... Advance on your behalf or on the behalf of what it is you know is good. 
This is the last time Jonathan will ever see David. It's the last conversation they'll have. Saul will take his three sons and on Mount Gilbo, they will all die. We talked about Saul last week falling on his own sword, but Jonathan and his two brothers down in the valley fighting until they can't fight no more die. Not only that, they take the bones, they take the bodies of Saul and his three sons, Jonathan, one of them, and hangs them on a wall. We know that Jabesh Gilead, the men of that city, come and take them down and bury them. And David later will dig them up and take them back to the tribe of Benjamin, where they'll be laid to rest. I know the last two weeks it seems sad talking about these two men. You, you brother, lot you, you talked about God to do whatever God wants to do. He did. Yeah, but Jonathan died. He didn't do anything. God did what God knew he had to do. Jonathan was more okay with it than many times we are. Well, I don't know why God took grandma, and grandma been telling you for three years, I can't wait till God calls me home. Can't wait till, oh, grandma don't talk like that. You should have let her talk like that. She was trying to talk some sense into you. She was trying to tell you some more truth than you wanted to hear. Go with me one more place. David, in 2 Samuel 1, and I don't want to deal a lot in 2 Samuel. Chapter 1, beginning at verse 19, David gives the eulogy and speaks over Saul and Jonathan. And when you want to know what kind of person Jonathan was and David was and kind of men they were, I want you to, I want you to realize this is the people, this is the man who had been hunting him for years. Finally, he had to hide out in Ziglag. And, and this is the man that would have killed him multiple times, would have stuck him with a spear, would have done. And when David gets the podium and says, okay, I'm fixing to give you as the king, I'm fixing to give you the decree of Saul and Jonathan. Here's what he says. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Proclaim it not in the streets of Eshkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised, there's that word again, triumph. O mountain of Gilbo, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For the shields of the mighty is cast away there. The shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. And the sword of Saul did not return empty. In other words, for their whole life, 
even though we, we say negative things about Saul or about the Bible makes it very clear in chapter 14, at the end of chapter 14, that Saul fought on every side and whooped people on every side and was always advancing. How do you know that? Because notice what David says. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. In their death, they were not divided. They still died right there side by side. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul who clothed you with grace. You know why you got the house you got? You know why you got jewelry on? You know why you, you got Philistine necklaces and, and, and Amalekite jewelry and, and why you're living in somebody else's house? Let me tell you why. Because Saul fought your battles and Saul went to war. And even though Saul may not have been the greatest, Saul did and Saul never quit. Weep over Saul who clothed you with scarlet, with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. Oh, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in the high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love for me was wonderful, surpassing the love of woman. In our world today, that just sounds so strange because we're so warped in our thinking. We are so warped in our thinking. From the time we're little, all we think about who I want to meet and who I want to get to. That's the most stupid thing you'll ever think of. Let me break it to you this way. In your life, if you're lucky, you will meet somebody who you love more than your wife. Or your husband. If you're lucky, you will meet someone you love more than your wife or your husband. You will meet someone whose heart was knitted to yours because you were born to accomplish the same goal. I have been fortunate in my life to have met some people through my journey who loved the same things I did. And it has been the joy of my life to have run with him. It surpasses all other loves. I know that may sound strange to some of you. That's why the Bible can be too deep for some of you. You better backtrack and go home and hug your wife and husband and say, I love you, babe. Good. Because you won't understand this. This is where God knits two people together. If it happens to be your wife or your husband, you are multi-blessed. But that's usually not the case. Martin Luther's wife in Germany, she was the best beer maker in town. Martin Luther started the revolution. doesn't mean that one's bad or one's good. You ever try to talk to your husband or your wife about what really is on your heart and what you really want to do and what you really, and it's like, that's okay. 
Because you're a very fortunate person if in your life you actually are knitted with someone who says, let's die together. Let's do it. Let's throw caution to the wind. This is Jonathan. This is David. When you read about Jonathan and David, you've got to understand these are men that live way above just trying to get through life. Or even worried about life. These are men who their love for God and what God wanted to do consumed their life. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Friendship is born at a moment when one person says to another, You too? I thought I was the only one. You'll meet a lot of people that'll say, Oh, you don't have to do that. You'll meet a lot of good friends that'll say, Ah, you know, you're just getting a little overboard. You'll meet a lot of good friends, but you won't meet but a few who are like Jonathan's or David's who will say, I will encourage you. I will strengthen you. I will in faith walk with you. I will be your brother and I will be your friend. And I will die if necessary to help you get to where you're supposed to be. Those are far and few in between. Not only do I look for them, but Jonathan inspires me to be one. I hope one day someone will say, because of my relationship with Tim, because he wouldn't let me quit, because he encouraged me, he challenged me, believed in me, never said I couldn't, I was able to reach where I couldn't have reached. When we read of Jonathan, we read of, character-wise, one of the highest character people that's ever mentioned in the Bible. And I hope tonight that it challenges you like it does me, frustrates me, bothers me, because I believe that everyone in this room has a call. I believe everyone in this room has a purpose. And it don't have to be my purpose. And it don't have to be somebody else's purpose, but it's yours. I've said this a thousand times. My mom and dad's purpose was to raise four good kids. That's it. When my mom dies, she's going to die a happy lady. My dad died a happy man. Why? Because they raised four good kids. That's it. I can't go through his ministry history. I can't go through all the other stuff and tell you how awesome and all this and that and that. They accomplished exactly what God intended. And the people they hung around and the people they talked to to all the time were the same kind of people. When my mom and dad went to camp meeting and talked with other pastors... They wasn't bumping shoulders with the pastors. They were talking about, well, we've started this program. We start. That was not my mom and dad. My mom and dad would go talk to so-and-so. How's your kids doing? Oh, they're doing good. And they would pray about their kids. And they'd pray about their kids. And that was their life. And they were just as happy. I'm not telling you to come up with some vision 
telling you believe in the vision God gave you. And then run with it. And when you learn to run alone, God will send somebody who likes to run that way too. From an armor bearer to a David to whoever you got to have, there's going to be somebody that will run with you. That will help you finish it. Will you stand? A lot of heavy stuff on you. You're real quiet. Nobody's jumping. Reading the story of Jonathan is, is, is like that. Because you got this guy that's so, and you just figure at any moment, God's like, man, I'm just going to pull Jonathan out of that and just. Instead, he just lets Jonathan run his whole race. And then the man that we think is so great that we build up and talk about David and David and David is the man who stands and preaches the funeral. And he says, when you put it in the book, I have a special book, what we call a book of heroes. That's what Second Samuel chapter 1 says. It's, he said, when you put their names in the book, when you, you write it like this, These were men like eagles, wings that could just move. And these were men like lions when they fought. These were incredible men that I had the privilege of knowing. I hope. One day, somebody will stand up and say, let me tell you about Tim. He moved like an eagle. And he fought like a lion. And he finished his race. And you can write it in the book. He did good. All the other stuff in your life, nobody's going to care about. They're going to sell your house and your cars and your pictures they don't want. They're chunking. Or they don't have pictures anymore. They'll just delete your files. But if you finish that thing that you were meant to finish, it will outlive you. It will outlive you. So finish it. Finish it. Run. Be faithful. Study Jonathan and be the man that Jonathan was. I know I want to be. Will you pray with me, Father? Your spirit is so heavy. You're talking to somebody who you're stirring what was always there. It's not anything, but 
I don't have anybody to run with and run until somebody catches up with you. I know in my journey, in my life, Lord, I look back now and I think, wow. It was those moments of pushing buggies. It was those moments of being faithful. It was those moments that set the stage. That tested what I really loved. God, these trials that these people will go through will just test what they really love. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, like Jonathan of old, when the battles come, it will just cause them to say, let's advance. By faith, let's go forward. Let's not sit here under the tree and hope it goes away. Let's attack it with everything. This is not where we're supposed to be. Let's move forward. Whether in my life, marriage, with my children, let's let's go forward. Whatever the call is that God gave me, let's move forward. In Jesus' name, I declare it already done. Amen and amen. God bless you. Stay warm. Give the devil fits.